All of a sudden, a few pounds heavier, a few steps slower, and without his mullet, was Richard Dean Anderson, MacGyver. He was tied to a chair in a warehouse, a time bomb ticked nearby. Fortunately, he'd just used his MasterCard to purchase a tree-shaped air freshener, some nasal spray, a pair of tube socks, and a turkey baster, all of which came in handy as he MacGyvered his way to safety, mere seconds ahead of the blast. The tagline? Little things that get you through the day. Priceless. An estimated 90 million Americans saw that ad, compared to the 13.1 million who watched the MacGyver finale in 1992. And despite the fact that Anderson hadn't played the character since Trail to Doomsday, a made-for-TV movie based on the show that aired in November of 1994, MasterCard saw no need to remind viewers who they were watching. The other huge moment for MacGyver came in August 2003 when Ira Glass of NPR's This American Life, the cultural opposite of the Super Bowl, produced a terrific episode about real-life MacGyverisms. That episode, which you can still hear at thislife.org, inspired this book. In fact, Susan Burton's story was originally written for it, as was Chuck Klosterman's. So MacGyver has entered the lexicon as a noun, as a verb, as a symbol for craftiness, quick thinking, and a good, clean brand of improvisational genius. MacGyver has endured. As an icon, a legend, he is here to stay. Why? My theory is that it's because we live in an age of declining know-how. There's a genuine crisis of competence. Nobody knows how to do anything anymore. Consider this statistic. In 1950, 46% of America's gross domestic product came from the service industries, i.e. businesses that perform services rather than make goods. By 2004, that number was over 60%. Not so long ago, a man was expected to know how to change his oil, unclog a drain, and maybe even do some basic carpentry. Now there's a thriving cottage industry of handymen who will come to your house and assemble the cabinet you just bought at Ikea. You can find them on Craigslist. In short, we've become a nation of specialists. We're all good at the one thing we're paid to do, but clueless about most everything else. This makes a supremely competent guy like MacGyver even more exotic and admirable. And this appeal is universal. No matter where you live or what you do for a living or how old you are, who can deny the basic satisfaction of solving the problem and saving the day? Bottom line, we'd all love to be MacGyver, if only for one shining moment. The 42 people who contributed to this book pulled it off. It would be logical to assume that, as the editor of What Would MacGyver Do?, I've got a little MacGyver in me. I don't. The truth is, MacGyver would be ashamed of me. I'm intimidated to the point of paralysis by mechanical things. I've never used a paperclip for anything other than clipping papers and I have no real gift for improvisation. Like most of us, I always think of the perfect solution, or the perfect comeback, too late, after the opportunity to seize the moment has long since passed. What I do have, however, is a deep well of awe and admiration for those who possess the MacGyver gene, and that's why I was so eager to take on this project. I was 14 when MacGyver premiered, and watching those early episodes, I remember being conscious that there were people in the real world whose minds were MacGyver-esque, and that I wasn't one of them. 
My hero in high school was my friend Doug Brazy, who completely restored a 65 Mustang at the age of 16 and was always responsible for designing and building our class's homecoming float. I begged Doug to contribute a story to this book, but he was too busy working for the National Transportation Safety Board. They're the people who, among other heroic duties, salvage the black boxes from plane crashes and try to figure out what went wrong. As I sifted through the stories that make up this collection, my sense of awe for people like Angus MacGyver and Doug Brazy only grew, and then turned to full-on jealousy. Before I get into which stories I selected and why, a word on how I collected the submissions. First, I built a website, whatwouldmacgyverdo.com. The site served as the hub of the project. It included a FAQ section explaining the concept, a simple mechanism for submitting stories, and a few sample MacGyverisms. Then I invited everyone, friends, acquaintances, friends of acquaintances, acquaintances of friends, writing students, science teachers, science students, the readers of ready-made magazine, etc., to contribute. And contribute they did. Altogether, I received hundreds of submissions. Some weren't more than a sentence or two. Once I used duct tape to fix my brother's glasses. Others were great stories but lacked a true MacGyver moment. Others had solid MacGyver moments but lacked a strong story. And of course there were some that had no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Now I'd like to introduce you to some of the authors whose stories did make the cut. I'm talking about brilliant jury riggers like Paul Padile, a Manhattan social worker who fashioned a rudimentary coffee maker in the wilderness. And publicist Cynthia Morse, also a New Yorker, who discovered an alternate source of salt when her van got stuck in an ice storm. And Joshua Behrman, a writer living in Los Angeles who, along with a clever friend, employed gravity to heat up a hot tub and save New Year's Eve. I'm also talking about evil geniuses like Vince, the anti-hero of Francine Marokian's story, an actor whose cheater's mind and sleight of hand saved the two-timing author from a mighty awkward situation. And Vincent O'Keefe, a stay-at-home dad from Toledo, Ohio, who takes a truly emasculating step to coax his baby daughter into taking a bottle and Chris Jones, a sports writer from Ottawa, Canada, whose simple but brilliant strategy helped him track down running back Ricky Williams when Ricky grew bored with the NFL and ran away, all the way to Australia. These last few contributors didn't invent anything. Their stories involve no duct tape or Swiss Army knives or half-melted Milky Way bars, but in my book, they absolutely qualify as MacGyver stories. Wikipedia, the open-source online encyclopedia states in its MacGyver entry that to pull a MacGyverism is to fix, repair, rig, solve, build, invent, or otherwise save the day. It's that last part, saving the day, that all these stories have in common. But what would MacGyver do takes Wikipedia's definition and broadens it even further. This book celebrates acts of improvised genius, period. Shortly after Richard Dean Anderson got the MacGyver job, he told the Akron Beacon Journal, I've been turning down a lot of things for the last year or so. I'm trying to let integrity be an integral part of my personality. This character has a lot of the qualities that I've been looking for. He's a very physical character, but there's a humanity about the character that is very attractive to me. 
He's not relying on an underlying vein of machismo to get through all this. I'm going to embellish the hell out of this character. They have no idea how well they cast this. Well, Richard, you really nailed that one. For many MacGyver fans, the character's fundamental goodness goes to the heart of his appeal. In a dark and stormy world, Angus MacGyver can always be counted on to do the right thing. But to the younger generation of MacGyver fans, to those 20 and 30-somethings who vaguely recall the TV show from their childhood but were reintroduced to Mac through hip-hop and The Simpsons, Mac's appeal is more about his resourcefulness, his unflappable cool no matter how high the stakes. His kitsch value is also part of the equation, and, yes, so is his hair. In editing this collection, I've done my best to include stories that will appeal to the full range of MacGyver fans. Fans of the show, fans of the man, and even fans of the idea of MacGyver. One last thing. In the About the Book section of WhatWouldMacGyverDo.com, I wrote the line, We've all pulled a MacGyverism or two in our day. Actually, that's not true. Many of us have never pulled a MacGyverism, not even once. I had every intention of coming up with a story for this collection, despite my incompetence in the improvisational arts. So did my editor at Hudson Street Press, who came up with the idea for the book in the first place. But after racking our brains for six months, neither one of us could come up with a single story that seemed worthy. We'd both found ourselves in plenty of tight spots, but the MacGyver moments were lacking. And that's because it's hard to be this clever. It's hard to be MacGyver, if only for that one shining moment. Especially in real life, when the only script is the one you write for yourself. So to all you contributors, including those who submitted stories we weren't able to publish, I thank you.